0: Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests, welcome. I think there's something worth pondering this morning before we get into the text for today that I've been thinking about this week, as talking to my son last night a little bit about. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to try to be silent for a little bit and not make it too, un, un, uh, too long to make it uncomfortable, but uh, my question is, what is the goal of life?
1: What is the goal of your life?
0: What do you think? What is the goal of your life? What is the goal of life? Really contemplate that. Is it to raise good children? Is it to, to build a great business? Or to be a great preacher? Is it to leave the world a better place than you found it? Solomon says, the end of the matter is this, fear God and keep His commandments. Uh, my answer, which therefore is the correct answer, of course, is... The goal of life is the glory of God. That's the goal of life. The goal of the Christian's life, for sure, is the glory of God. The, the Westminster Catechism, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the chief end of man. That is the goal of life. The goal of life is to make God look great like we looked when we were looking at the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. The uh, catechism for girls and boys that many of the children, most of the children in here have gone through. Why did God make you? For His own glory. How can you glorify God? By loving Him and doing what He commands. That's catechism questions that we do with our children. Our purpose as the pinnacle of God's creation is as those made in the image of God. Every human being, their purpose is to glorify God. The glory of God is is the goal of life. And for us who have been redeemed, made right with God through Jesus Christ, that have been adopted into His family, this is our heart's desire and I I want to remind us of that because it is true if we are Christians because we are Christians it is our heart's desire to glorify God I was thinking about this you know there's some some young adults in here that are mm, wondering about mm, who am I Before God. Who am I uh, with Christ? And one of the things to ask yourself is, is it your heart's desire to glorify God with your life?
1: And for us,
0: brothers and sisters, I think it's a great reminder for us this morning to think about the path, the direction of our life. Is it our goal to Glorify God. Is it our goal? Is the glory of God the purpose of my life? Of your life? And if that is the purpose of our lives, if that is, and it is, then then like the catechism question, we tell our children how we glorify God is by loving Him and doing what He commands. Uh, John When I asked him, you know, he uh, preached the gospel. Yep, that certainly would be a goal of our lives. But it's far greater than that. It is that, but it's far greater than that. This week, this day, as we rest in the Lord, let's remember our purpose is the glory of God, brothers and sisters. That is our purpose. And if that is not your purpose, if you say, bah humbug, if you say, no, I don't want to glorify God in my life, I want to do what I want to do, then you don't know Christ. Turn from your sin. Turn to God in contrition. Believe on Christ and live for His glory. Don't live for His glory thinking that will make you right with God, because you cannot. You, we are right with God, so we, we want to glorify God. We want to make Him look good. We want to exalt Christ with our lives with our words with everything that we are. There is no other answer really there is no other answer than the glory of God being the purpose of life. I think we should contemplate we should think about that we should pray about that we would consider that. I don't want (laughs) to every moment of my life as we all well know isn't To the glory of God. Too often I find myself to my own glory or my own pleasure or my own wants and desires. Everything I do should be done to the glory of God. What is the goal of your life? the glory of God. Okay, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, we're in verses 29 through 32, and the message today is titled, Condemnation of a Wicked Generation. So please stand as I read verses 29 through 32 of Luke 11. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it. For they repented and at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You may be seated. So, a 30,000 foot flyover of the earthly ministry of Jesus. Uh, he was born to a virgin. Uh, as witnessed by uh, the angel Gabriel. Uh, prophesied to this. Simeon and Anna witnessed him. He was born, he was raised, uh, age 12, started to go to the temple with his parents, was about his father's business. But then his earthly ministry began when he was baptized by John the Baptist, and he was sent into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. He had a brief Judean ministry, and then he had about an 18 month ministry in Galilee, which is we're, we're through in the book of Luke now. He was in Galilee for about 18 months. He was healing and casting out demons and showing his power over the weather, and he was preaching powerfully the kingdom of God. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, they wanted him dead, they wanted him finished. Uh, he, was, he was preaching a different way to be right with God, and they didn't like that. He was preaching repentance and faith in him, not Judaistic religious practices. Then, after he left Galilee, remember, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He set his face towards Calvary. He was headed towards taking on the wrath of God for the forgiveness of sins. And he then starts a Judean ministry on his way to Jerusalem. And he's coming towards the end. We're we're months away from when he would go to Calvary, when he would go to the cross at Calvary. And and so... uh, in Judea now, he's doing the same thing. He's healing and he's raising people from the dead and he's doing miracles and he's preaching powerfully and he's getting a big following. And, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees and the scribes being the religious leaders of the common people in Israel. They don't like it. So he is he's traveling in Judea. He's near to Jerusalem. And there's an evil generation gathering sick. To see signs. Verse 29. When the crowds, the aquas, the masses, were increasing, the word there for increasing increasing is epitharizo, to gather together to others already present. So some came with him from Galilee, no doubt. But then as he would go, more and more people would come around him. The crowds were increasing all the way to when he goes into Jerusalem. The crowds are lining the streets, but there's a large crowd following him. He's got lots of people around him. Yeah, he he uh, he's near Jerusalem, as I said. So so in this crowd would be more of the Pharisees and scribes because that's near Jerusalem, as opposed to up in Galilee where that would be a farther way to travel. We we saw these crowds and and how they were reacting to him just a little a few weeks ago, and. Luke 11, 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. The ah aklas, the the masses, they marveled. They wondered. They they admired. These huge crowds were marveling at Jesus' power and His teaching. He was the show. And again, it says in verse 15, But some of them, the Pharisees and the scribes, said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Some of them said, we saw two weeks ago, He cast out demons by the power of the Lord of Dung, Satan. And Jesus, of course, shoved sat down and says, A house divided against itself can't stand. Satan would not have used, used someone to cast out his demons. And then he said, look, he gave, he gave him a parable and said, a strong man has, has a hold of his house and is his house until the stronger one comes in and overtakes him or conquers him. And that's what Christ does in the life of believers. But he, he shoots down the whole Beelzebul. And then, verse 16, others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So some of these Pharisees and scribes, in this big crowd, as he's doing these miracles, said, hey, you're working for the devil. He shoots that down. And some were saying, give us another sign from heaven. So that's what he's going to deal with now, in, in these verses. He's going to deal with these Pharisees and scribes, these, these doubters who are demanding from him a sign from heaven. And, and really, we don't we do have people in here maybe even, but we do have people in this culture, in this generation we live in, that are looking for signs. They're looking for another sign. And if Jesus would just give me, a God would give me another sign, then I would believe. And just like this generation, more signs, more proofs aren't going to do anything for your belief. It is to see your sin and repent. It's going to have you believe. So, back to today's passage. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say... So there's big crowds that are marveling and then part of the crowds are these Pharisees and scribes that are after him and he began to say what? This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to accept the sign of Jonah. This Genia, this people of the same kind or ethnic group, this people in the same time, these this generation, Jesus is saying, you all here in this whole land of Israel and, and this land around here, this generation is an evil, Poneros. Wicked, evil, bad, morally corrupt, worthless, of serious faults, so that they have no value, sick, diseased. <laughs> Jesus is standing amongst these folks, this big crowd of people who are marveling. The scribes and Pharisees are now challenging him a little bit, and he says, Y'all a wicked, worthless generation. You're a wicked, worthless group of people. You demand a sign. You're wicked and you're worthless. What's interesting is that these Jews listening to him, relative to the world they lived in at that time, were very moral people. They would have lived lives of morality. You know, we, he talked about this last week. You know, morality, the, the, two weeks ago, the, the morality is what they had their hope in. That's what Jews had their hope in, in their ability to follow uh, uh, the Mishnah, to follow rabbinic teaching. The way to be right with God was to obey His commands. So they were very moral people. They, they were not like the pagan cultures around them. They were not like the Greco-Roman world in which they lived. The Greco-Roman world was filled with sexual immorality and debauchery. Uh, and it was a lot like the world we live in today. But the Jews weren't that way. And yet he tells them, Y'all are wicked, a wicked generation. You Jews, you group of folks following around, the people in, in Israel and Judea, it's a wicked generation. It's a worthless bunch of people. It is worthy of note that we live in a wicked generation. Not even in the way of the Jews. We don't we don't we do live amongst people who want more signs. We do in the, the Benny Hinn world uh, look for those things, but as a as a general principle, we we live in a wicked and evil generation. We kill a million babies a year just in the United States not globally we we promote we promote the the destruction of a body to try to change gender we don't but this generation does we 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 have of children-ish today are bastard children. 40% of children are born out of wedlock. Compared in 1980 that was 18%. In 1969 24% of black infants were born out of wedlock and 3% of white infants in the culture, in this evil and wicked generation in which we live, the time we live right now, that's up to 69% of black children and 28% of white children are bastard children. We live in an evil and wicked generation and our message ought to be more like Jesus. Calling this people, this people, generation wicked and evil the false prophets in jeremiah's day the false priests and the false prophets what were they doing they were preaching peace when there was no peace jeremiah 6:14 they these false prophets they've healed the wound of my people lightly saying peace peace when there is no peace eight eleven. They have healed the wounded my people lightly saying, Peace, peace when there is no peace. False teachers, false gospels permeate this culture we live in. claiming some sort of right America is a godly nation. We're right with God. We're not. We're a wicked and evil generation. We're amongst a wicked and evil people. We must be more like Jesus, men. He stood. He stood. In a big group of folks, most of them liked him because they liked what he was doing, the healings. And the scribes and the Pharisees are attacking him somewhere and, and they ask asking for a sign. Hey, just give us a little bit of a sign. And what did he say to them? You're wicked and evil people. And they were living way more morally, righteously, than we certainly live. We cannot speak to this wicked generation as if they are right with God in any way. You see, we talked about this last night again. Uh, There's this misunderstanding of the church. Uh, there's those that would tell you the culture goes the way of the church. That's nonsense. The culture goes the way of the devil, the prince of the power of the air, and the church, the true church, stays faithful to God's truths. The nominal church will have gay members. The nominal church will allow for women pastors. The nominal church will will be after... <laughs> different things than standing on truth. Do we understand? We do, right? America is at war with God. Period. End of story. Full stop. There is no bringing back a warring people to a right place with God through changing the culture. Standing on truth and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we must do. There are those who we come in contact who want more signs and wonders. This is applicable. But most people today, they, they don't, they don't want signs and wonders. They're just, they're just wicked people. More manifest, obvious, greater sin than even these Israelites were living out of. Paul was, was, he was exhorting Timothy to be like he was like, and like Jesus was. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is the judge of the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths this is the age we live in men reprove Rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. Be ready, popular or unpopular, to preach the word. Uh, no, no, you know, uh, earth, all earth can be. You can manipulate that into Christianity. No, you can't. Because if there was death before Adam and Eve, then the gospel is shattered. But see, we, we incorporate that. We, we want to act like in the church you can believe in old earth creationism. Not in God's church. Yes, an immature believer may not know what they think about that, but a learned man or woman is not going to even have room for that. Jesus modeled right here behavior of calling Wicked, wicked. And their wickedness was just demanding a sign in this case. He made sure these wicked Judean and these Israelites knew that they were wicked and evil for their religion, the rejection of Him, for their religion and their rejection of Him as the only way to the kingdom of God. They were rejecting him as the only way to the kingdom of God. They were standing on their religion. And he called them evil and wicked. Okay, so back to the, to the passage. The only sign the wicked people were going to receive would be the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except. So he's standing amongst these people that are demanding a sign, and he says no sign is going to be given to this wicked generation except. There will be one, best sign of Jonah. For for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. This is what he's telling them. Just like Jonah was to Nineveh, is the Son of Man to this generation the sign, the semion, the sign, that typed the type, the indicator, an event that signifies or points to something? Jesus is telling these learned scribes and Pharisees who knew the Old Testament that Jonah pointed to him, and there would be a sign that would show that. Let's go look at the story of Jonah and see the indications of Jesus. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Go from Galilee, is where Jonah was from. Go to Nineveh, which is in Assyria, which is a Gentile nation. Go and call out against it. For the evil has come upon me. Well, that's the same thing that Jesus did. He he went to Jews and Gentiles. The Pharisees hated this comparison. Because who did they think salvation was for? Only for Jews. And he said, it's the sign of Jonah. And Jonah was a man who was told to go and preach to the Gentiles. Verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So so Jonah does not go to Nineveh as God instructed him. Instead, he disobeys. He sins. He sins against God and he disobeys God's command. Now, how does God respond Probably that's okay. Just a little bit backslidden. No problem. Verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, small g. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So Jonah's gotten onto a ship, disobeying God, not going where God has told him, and God is angry, and he brings a storm upon this this ship. And they're afraid. They're praying to their gods to no avail. So they tell Jonah, Hey, pray to your God, maybe he'll help us out. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account the evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. In God's providence, they cast lots, and God showed them, hey, Jonah is the one you need to be talking to about his, capital G, God. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing for the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. So, here, here's another foreshadowing. Christ. You've got a boat filled with people that are about to die because of the sins of a man. Sin was about to have this group die. Jonah's not like Jesus. He never sinned. But sin was the reason for God's anger. And he, he was going to destroy this, these people on this boat. A boat full of people were about to die because of God's anger against sin. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah says, look, and you want this to stop? God is angry with me for my sin. He's going to destroy this boat. You toss me off, it'll stop. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. these men tried to save themselves. Instead of listening to the prophet speaking for God like these Jews who wanted to save themselves through their religion. Verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So Jonah was sacrificed to appease the wrath of God. Just as Jesus would be sacrificed to appease the wrath of God. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So for three days and three nights, Jonah was buried in the belly of a fish. Just as Jesus would be buried in the belly of the land for three days and three nights. This is the sign of Jonah, that he says, his, you're going to see this sign, and this is what happened in Jonah's life. So after three days, with Jonah and Sheol, he was spit out. Jonah t- two ten, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah, Jonah up, out upon the dry land. So after three days and three nights of Jonah being in the belly of a fish, God supernaturally spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah back out on dry land. The same way Jesus would be in the belly of the, of the earth for three days and three nights, and then a stone would be rolled away, which was too heavy for two men that were guards to move away. Supernaturally, the stone would be removed, and Jesus would be sped out of the earth. Matthew's Gospel accounting in his Galilean sermon of this spells out more clearly, he answered them, An evil and generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There was not a sign that Jesus was going to do for these ones that were demanding a sign. He had been doing miracles, multiple miracles. had not impressed them. They want one more sign. He's not going to jump through their hoops any longer. Except there would be one more sign, the sign of Jonah, which they would have understood. All right, back to Luke's Gospel. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation, this wicked and evil generation. Now, Jesus leaves the discussion about the sign of Jonah... And he declares the Queen of the South will condemn the Jews of Jesus' day on Judgment Day. Verse 31. The Queen of the South will rise up at the Judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Who's this Queen of the South? Now these Jewish lawyers they would know who the queen of the south was the Jewish audience would know so let's us find out who that is 1st Kings chapter 10 verse 1 now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Yahweh she came to test him with hard questions so the queen of Sheba that was in southwest Arabia that was over a thousand miles away from Jerusalem now understand what he's saying to this audience he's talking to <laughs> the, Jesus was right there they didn't have to come and seek him out. Now, he had a following, but he was right there in that landmass. The Queen of Sheba, a Gentile queen, came from a thousand miles away in southwest Arabia because she heard of the wisdom of Solomon. And she wanted to come and hear of the wisdom of Solomon. She came. Now, the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning what? The name of Yahweh. She came because Solomon was the wisest man with all these possessions. She knew about him from a thousand miles away, and she wanted to come hear the wisdom of Yahweh, of Solomon, the name of his God. Tell me about your God. So she came to ask hard questions. She came to to ask questions about his God. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. She came and said to Solomon, Look, I'm here to test you with hard questions. You have all this wisdom, supposedly. You have all, these, all this great wealth. I want to test you with hard questions and see if you really have that kind of wisdom. Pharisees kind of did that to Jesus, didn't they? Let me ask you some hard questions. And you answer the questions perfectly, and they would reject. Well, let's see what the Queen of the South does. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. None of her life questions, none of her riddles, none of her queries were too difficult for Solomon. The wisdom of Yahweh was plenty to satisfy all of her questions. All the wisdom that God had bestowed upon him came forth To the queen, and this Gentile woman was listening and understanding. Verse 4 And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of Yahweh, there was no more breath in her. She had nothing else to say. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Solomon, the wisdom wisdom and prosperity of Yahweh are even greater than I thought. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set your throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. The Queen of the South is saying, Blessed is Yahweh. He obviously has has given you this wisdom and given you this position of king over Israel. That's who the Queen of the South is. And here are these Jews who have one greater than Solomon there and not believing the wisdom that he brings not blessing Yahweh she gave 120 talents of gold and very quantity of spices and precious never again came such an abundance of spices as these the queen of sheba gave to king Solomon so how did she respond to God's wisdom as, as it was told to her via Solomon, she responded by believing the truth that the God of Israel was the one true God. How did these, this wicked, evil generation respond to Jesus? Not that way. She says, the, the, he says, the Queen of South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold Eduro, look behold, a marker of strong emphasis calling attention what's being said hey look, queen of south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon she was convinced that Yahweh was the true God and behold something greater than Solomon is here This wicked generation, this evil people that was in front of Jesus, they will be judged by the Queen of the South at Judgment Day. Because she will rise up and say, I believed in God, I blessed Yahweh, simply because of Solomon, an imperfect man, giving me the wisdom of God and it convincing me. You all rejected God Himself. They will rise up in condemnation of these these men. Jesus is where all wisdom lies, yes? Colossians 2, 3 That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Solomon was not completely filled with all wisdom. But Christ was, one greater. The Queen of the South is going to rise up in judgment because she was convinced by Solomon's level of wisdom in answering life's questions. These words would have inflamed the Jews when they hear about the Queen of South rising up to judge them and condemn them. Because of the rejection of truth. Not only will the queen of the south rise up in judgment and condemn them, these Jews of Jesus' generation, he goes back now and says also the men of Nineveh will condemn them as well. Verse 32. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. There is condemnation awaiting those who reject the gospel of repentance and faith. Let's go see how the Ninevites responded. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Remember, Jonah has been spat out of the fish. Now he goes to Nineveh. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call against the message that I tell you, the same thing you had told them before. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. It was a big, huge city. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah went to Nineveh in the land of Assyria a hated nation by the Jews, and he preached repentance. He told them, Nineveh, you're going to be destroyed for your wickedness. See, they were living in very wicked ways. Sexual immoral, debaucherous, not simply, not simply uh, wanting a sign. No, Nineveh was living in, in very debaucherous, pagan ways. Uh, Worshipping false gods. Sexual morality. So, so, it was going to be destroyed, is what Jonah told them. Jonah's message, like Jesus' was a message of repentance. Jonah's message was a message of repentance to Nineveh. So, surely, the Ninevites put him to death. No, because they're going to rise up in judgment against this wicked generation that Jesus is in front of. Verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. This was a sign of repentance. From the greatest of them to the least of them. The word, this message of sin against God and its consequences, reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God, Yahweh. Let everyone turn from his evil away, away and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. How did Nineveh respond? The entire nation and all their animals fasted. Did not eat and covered themselves in sackcloth. Even their animals. And they cried out mightily to God. This entire generation Of Nineveh, they fasted, they repented, they humbled themselves before God. They cried out, they turned from their wicked ways. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. So when they repented... When they mourned over their sin and they stopped their evil ways, God relented. So these Ninevites, this Gentile, corrupt, ungodly people, these people that were hated by Jews, hated so much, remember Jonah, he was a Hebrew. He did not even want to go talk to these Gentiles. And later on he gets mad because God delivered them. But they, they listened to the message of repentance that was preached and they turned from their evil way and God relented. And the people that Jesus is talking to, they just want another sign. They just they want to keep putting him to the test. They, they, keep, they keep wanting to count on their religion as their way to be right with God. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Again, these men of Nineveh, the ones who heard the message of repentance from God's prophet, they're going to judge you wicked generation of Israel, of Judea, because a greater prophet is here and you are rejecting him. You aren't repenting. You aren't turning away from your wicked ways. You're just demanding. And he says, And behold, you do owe again, something greater than Jonah is here. This was the Son of God himself. Jonah was simply a minor prophet. This, this, this was a completely sinless Christ. Filled with all wisdom and all compassion and all knowledge, the prophet Jonah was a sinful, foolish, rebellious man. Jesus presents himself as a, 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 a message of repentance and grace and pardon and forgiveness. Jonah had a message of doom. <laughs> Jesus is bringing this message to people with great advantage, great spiritual advantage. Jonah's message was addressed to a bunch of people who had no real knowledge of who God was. Something far greater than Jonah was there, and they were rejecting him. Therefore, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up at your judgment, you wicked generation there in Judea, and they're going to condemn you because of your rejection of the prophet. The Messiah, the way, the truth, their life, their way to heaven, and you rejected him. What did they eventually do to him, this group of people that he's talking to, telling him they're a wicked generation, they keep asking for a sign, they're going to have judgment rise up against them. Where do you, Bethsaida? Where do you, and What's going to happen? They end up doing what to him? They spit on him, and they beat him, and they turn him over to be killed. They don't repent. They had him put to death. They did not believe Jesus. And they had much fuller revelation, didn't they? Than did Nineveh and did the Queen of the South. They had much fuller revelation. And we have even fuller revelation than that, don't we? Hebrews 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Hey, everyone needs to listen, especially those who don't know Christ. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? declared first by the Lord and was attested to by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation I couldn't find it maybe one of you knows I think, it was, I think it was Susanna Spurgeon it might have been Jonathan Edwards' wife Esther somebody Stoddard I think her name is but I read a quote one time And a quote, this is going to be wrong, so I couldn't find it, but it's close. She was telling her children that had yet to believe on Christ, I love you children, but if you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, I will be next to God at your judgment, and He will judge you rightly to hell, and I will be in full agreement with Him. Listen, there's a sense in which Christians will rise up as judgment against non-Christians who rejected the gospel. That's hard to swallow. I remember hearing that years ago, and at first it like poked me. And then I thought, no, that, and I went, I don't know, how many years ago, honey, 10 years ago, 12 years I went and talked to my children none of whom at the time, well, one of them had claimed Christianity at the time, and told them, God will be right to judge you. And I will be on his side. I won't be begging him for mercy that you've been hearing about your entire lives. I won't be arguing with him for his righteous judgment. I will rise up against you at your judgment day and condemn you for rejecting Jesus Christ that reality ought to motivate us to tell our children to tell this evil and wicked generation the truth the gospel of Jesus Christ The great salvation that's being offered to them. Everyone in here today, salvation is being offered to you. Turn from your sins and believe on Christ. Recognize you're a sinner. Recognize you have no hope when you stand before God on your own. Recognize that you need the sacrifice, the life, the death, the resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. Believe on Him and be forgiven of your sins. How great is salvation? And the Queen of the South and the men of Nineveh and Christians of all ages will be on God's side as unbelievers are judged. Closing thought. We must stand amongst this wicked generation and proclaim condemnation, not peace where there is no peace. It's, I don't know exactly how to verbalize this. You know, our children, our unsaved children, are in an interesting place. To some level, they're part of the wicked generation. Some level, they may be participating. And many of them aren't because of the of the protection they have in our homes. But, but understand something. Jesus is talking to a very moral people when he calls them a wicked and evil generation. He's talking to a very moral people that are trusting in something besides Christ as their way to glory. And their rejection of Christ, while it was brutal... There's no such thing as a non-brutal rejection of Christ. No such thing as a non-brutal rejection of Christ. We must proclaim repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to eternal life. Jonah and the Queen of Sheba will stand at Judgment Day and condemn those who demand greater wisdom or a greater sign than Jesus Christ Himself. You demand greater wisdom or a greater sign than Jesus Christ Himself? Then everyone who's believed on Christ, everyone who had faith in God in the Old Testament, everyone who believed God and it was credited to them for righteousness, will stand up on Judgment Day in condemnation of you. I don't really expect women to get spines to go out and stand and call our generation evil and wicked, but I expect they'll stand behind their men who do. And i expect us men to actually call out to this wicked and evil generation. Call sin, sin. Preach a message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins. Don't preach preach peace where there is no peace we have people in our lives brothers and sisters you have people in your lives I have people in my lives very close to me that are going to hell because they are rejecting the message of Jesus Christ and I, I sometimes can act like they have peace there is no peace there is no peace of the outside of Christ in the same way Jesus is willing to tell his, this moral audience, we ought to be re- willing to tell our relatively moral family members and friends that if they reject Christ, we will stand up with Christ, we will stand up in judgment of them condemning them for their rejection. And for those that count on their religion to get them into heaven, or their morality, goes back to a couple of weeks ago, their morality minus Jesus is way worse than being immoral. Because they're counting on their morality to be right with Christ, just like this evil generation that Jesus was talking to. To be right with God. They're counting on their morality, their religion. Some of us need to get a spine, all of us to some extent, men, and we need to have these conversations with this wicked and evil generation around us. And, And I don't get the sense Jesus is yelling. I get the sense he's just telling them the truth. With patience and long suffering. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The greatest of all, Jesus Christ has come. He has exegeted God perfectly. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been, forth, been put forth completely, fully, and it's being given to you all believe on Christ and take the gospel we know and go out and proclaim it into this generation Father you are a good God your word is true it encourages us it, it exhorts us it it spurs us on Father help us to to be willing to call evil evil and wicked wicked And if the only evil that someone seems to possess is an evil of rejecting the good news of Christ because they're so moral, let us help them to see that they are evil and wicked. Father, help us to to really let this generation we're in that is truly wicked, hating you, let us speak the truth against it. Father, let us not try to redeem something that's not redeemable. Help us to preach the gospel that individuals may be redeemed, lives may be changed for all eternity. For
1: Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen.